Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people and real stories. A local podcast for local artists. everyone and welcome back to Afternoon Delight with myself, Jory Delight. I am so excited to be presenting the next two episodes to you this weekend. I hope you're all doing well. The Scottish Government, if you are in Scotland, have decided to change the rules in a good way and people are able to meet six people outside from six different households. Bars are opening up. I feel like we're kind of back to where we were this time last May, June, July, I think it was when the phases were introduced. And this time, I'm really hoping it stays that way. <laughs> it's been such a hard time the last couple of weeks. I think people are very angsty. Um, and I'm really excited to present the next two guests. There's, there's a special place in my heart for both of these guests, actually. So I'm really excited to present the first of the double bill. I didn't want to get another drag artist um, this week because I wanted to give drag kings their moment. I have had so far three now drag kings on the podcast. I've had my drag child, Dean Gummer. I've had my husband, Phil Herrin. And it only felt right that I now get royalty and the drag king community and light and positivity that is the next guest. They, during the pandemic took the initiative to start up a project looking at ways in which they could help other drag kings or artists thrive and learn how to build on their craft, you know, do facial hair, um, makeup skills, performance skills, editing skills, you name it, they've been doing it as a collective. Dean Gummer himself had mentioned at the beginning of the sort of season one point of Afternoon Delight that Shut Up and King were going to be starting on Zoom. And... Throughout the pandemic, the next artist has really, truly shown um, a determination, a strong will, and a positive reimagining for what drag could be, and has so many creative and interesting ideas. We talk so much throughout the whole experience of this episode on the inclusivity of drag kings in the community and the way drag is valued. You know, Drag Race, absolutely love it as a TV show, watch it quite a lot, but drag has never been just one thing through a show like Drag Race. You know, we get a lot of people coming to us in the clubs or even on social media. I've had a lot of people the last couple of months and it's been quite frustrating in my opinion. Students messaging me, asking me to do events for them for free, which I've never agreed with personally and I don't as a professional do anymore. But I've had a lot of them message me asking to do their work for free. But also this narrative and this focus of it being similar to Drag Race. And I'm like, gals... Guys, non-binaries, this is not what drag is. Drag is a whole spectrum of things. And our next guest is fully supports that, and I fully support him. So on with the show, as they say. It is, of course, an absolute powerhouse in the drag king community behind a big movement that long-term is going to bring a lot for Scotland and across the UK. It is, of course, artist, creative, vagabond, Dorian T. Fisk. Welcome back to Afternoon Delight with myself, Jory Delight. Oh, I am so excited for the next guest. 
A lot of people wouldn't know this about me, but my sort of way of getting into drag was seeing on Channel 4 back in, God, I'd been 14 at the time, I ended up coming across this amazing TV show that I then realised was a bit called Tipping the Velvet, all about drag kings. And I thought, oh my God, I love this. And everyone thinks, you know, Jordi, you're a drag queen, you're this. And I'm like, yeah, but my first ever experience as a teenager drag was drag kings. And I've often felt like that really followed me in my life and made me respect and love the culture of drag kings so much that of course we have got drag king royalty in my opinion. It is of course Dorian T. Fisk. How are you doing? I'm very well, I lie. No, <laughs> you know what I've just done to my ass, so. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to <laughs> Maybe, I've, I've pulled a muscle in my butt, just um, maneuvering a rather large object that got delivered. So yeah, no, and sitting I... on a nice comfortable cushion right now. <laughs> exact same last night, I totally feel you. <laughs> Uh, by the way, the book is better than the film. The book, I've got the book. I love the book. Yeah, yeah, read it. Classic. It's just, honestly, and I've always said that to you because there's been so many instances. This is actually, people will realise this listening, but this is the first time that Dory and I have actually met online. Like, we've, we've messaged, we've Instagrammed, we've never, you've done my show, but we've never actually had the chance to meet. So this is actually really exciting for mm -hmm. us. This is our first ever conversation. Mm -hmm. People hear that. Yeah, that's it. So could you please, I mean, a lot of you in the drag community will know you, but if I have listeners who aren't obviously involved in the drag community, could you introduce yourself for me? Yes. All right. So I am Dorian. I go by Dorian in and out of drag these days, except for, for my mum. But um, yeah, Dorian T. Fisk is my stage name. I'm based in Glasgow, but I got my start in drag overseas. I spent a lot of my life, majority of my life in Shanghai. So that's where I kind of had the birthing of Dorian. I've been in Glasgow for three years now and um yeah that's basically me <laughs> yeah living in a cool hip area of Glasgow nice and multicultural so going from Shanghai which is a really kind of cultural melting part of folks from all over the world to this part of Glasgow Govan Hill has been a nice a nice transition I really enjoy it here that's interesting so you know talk me through Shanghai you know like what made you go to, were you, were you born in Shanghai or are you from, were you born in Scotland? No, no. So I was born in the Cotswolds, born and grew up, well, born in Bristol, grew up in the Cotswolds. So my childhood was very, you know, pre-internet. It was all about you know, climbing trees and building dens in the forest and, you know, playing frisbee with cow pats and stuff like that. So very, very wholesome. Um, and then sort of the 80s was all really, all I can remember from that is, you know, rock concerts. And then at 18, I had, what I thought was a gap year and went away and ended up in Asia. And the plan was to backpack and end up in South America for a while, but never made it. Just sort of landed in Hong Kong um, and then grew, sorry, they landed in Hong Kong and um, went across to Taiwan for a number of years teaching English in the early 90s. Wow. Um, and then sort of went across to the motherland mainland China 98 and was there until 2018 so yeah my mum sort of gave up asking when I was going to come back um, after maybe five years so yeah it's been it was about 30 years close to 30 years overseas um, and then came back uh, just because I mean <laughs> I'm of a certain age and it got harder and harder to get a visa in China that's the, you know the official reason um, also they didn't approve of my artist visa application video with all my drag they um rejected it so the cultural bureau of, of china officially does not recognize my drag artistry as being valid fuck them uh, so i had to come back you know out of necessity um so 
yeah, that was that three years ago, kind of landing all of a sudden back in the UK post Brexit. So that was a bit of a bit of a faux pas. I really wish I'd come back and explored a bit more of Europe. <laughs> well, we have, I guess, relative freedom to do that. But um, yeah, came back and at the um, I guess the invitation of a really good friend of mine who had happened to have purchased a rambling old property up north, close to the highlands, but not quite in the highlands. She said, come and help my husband convalesce, do some work around the garden and you know, help him move all his myriad of books up to the library because he's just had open heart surgery and he's up there having having a sort of convalescent period. And you know, you can crash land with you and your Chinese cat in our attic <laughs> and see where you want to go from there, you know, because it was a kind of a rush get out of Shanghai decision. And um, she put me up for the better part of a year before she gave me a nice, polite ultimatum to get the fuck out. <laughs> Spent about a week here um, having a look around for a part-time job and flat and you know, came up trumps with both of those. So moved across and haven't looked back since, really. Wow, that's incredible. Do you know, it's so funny. I don't know if you're a big fan of like Studio Ghibli movies, but I absolutely love them. And it really reminded me there of Kiki's Delivery Service, this movie I'm obsessed with, where she's a, a young witch and she moves into this person's attic where a cat, and I, you said that, and I just thought, oh my God, I'm getting this like absolute beautiful image in my head. So that's absolutely incredible. And what a fucking journey. We can swear on this podcast, don't you worry. And I'm just like blown away by like chaotic in the best way, in my opinion, but so much happening in that space of time and one thing that um really interests me I guess in a way you you talk earlier about how um your, your drag wasn't approved and considered valid obviously mm-hmm. it there and for me how, what got you into drag then what actually got you into yeah. drag? so I mean officially the government of China does not approve of drag right as an art form but I got into no I got into well they they so maybe I'll explain what happened. So ultimately, I got into drag in Shanghai because I went out to a, a gay event and there was a drag king, an American drag king called NSFW hosting it. And shortly afterwards, I saw that they put out info to say they're producing that year's Shanghai Pride's Pride's Got Talent contest. And I volunteered to help them out. I had a lot of event management experience and thought, you know, I could maybe help backstage. So they said, yep, come along and help. And during the auditions where I was sort of taking notes on the types of acts that I was going to need to help um, with, I thought, yeah, I can't really, it was all going to be so fabulous and amazing. I can't really just turn up in my skivvies and that's it. You know, I need to put a bit of effort in. So had been inspired by having seen Ennis and thought I'd make up this drag persona to work backstage. So for six months, I was then continuing at that burlesque and cabaret club in Shanghai to stage manage their shows on a regular basis and always did it as Dorian, this sort of backstage manager, kind of poked up roadie persona. I kind of, like, as I mentioned earlier, kind of had an 80s teens kind of rock fan period in my life. And so smushed together a bunch of lead singers from bands I liked at that point into this persona um, and, you know, had a smattering of Johnny Depp in there as well. So was this dude backstage for six months and, not performing at all, but you know, becoming becoming more attuned to the world of you know in front of the curtain and how much fun that looked. And then um, there was an opportunity to put something together, and I did. And my first act was maybe in eight six months after doing that, August 2016, where I did an ode to an Alice Cooper number. Or oh, what one? Feed my Frankenstein. Oh, 
okay, okay, mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's um, that's kind of where it went from there. You know, I, for the first couple of years, I was doing a lot of hyper masculine, hyper realistic. Like my kick was getting people to not really see through the drag and realize that beneath it, you know, there was tits and the, you know, bits. And so it was a lot of that. You know, sort of variations on a theme, a really core aesthetic that I carried through with all these different looks but they were very much of a similar vein so a lot of like the the cowboy the vampire the pirate and all the sort of like you know drag king 101 type stuff and then over the last few years I've kind of explored you know within myself as well you know the journey it's taken me has led to a lot of sort of self-discovery as well about gender identity so I've sort of played around with different types of drag king presentation you know where you can have a bit of a gender fuck with it and you know there are acts where I've had my pasties on and had my, my dick out and uh it's it's been interesting and then lately you know the one we did for your show the Jack Frost number was a little bit more otherworldly and in the last month or two I've really gone down that sort of creature vein so it's been really cool just to, to see how I've evolved and how it's still evolving mm. for me so yeah interesting because when I got sent that number I was absolutely blown away and I obviously remember sharing your photo and commenting and saying you look gorgeous you were like oh I don't often get told like in drag like my drag that I would look I went oh I don't know what it is but it's just breathtaking that's the right expression breathtaking and I thought god that just was incredible to look at the amount of effort and time that must that must have taken a while to get that look together like you didn't do that in five minutes I'm yeah. No, did not take five minutes. So I do like to take my time. I mean, from the most part, any act that I'll put together from like a completely point zero to ready for the stage, it takes me a good while. It takes me a month. I really take my hat off to folks who can can put things together in a shorter time frame and still be really great and entertaining because it does take me a while to get things together. So I, you know, for this Jack Frost one, I started with the mood board gathering images kind of along the frosty Jack Frost look vein and, um, you know, mostly off Pinterest and bits like that. And then practiced a little bit with some elements of the look. Um, Definitely regretted the first time around putting crushed shards of glass on my eyelids. That was not a good idea. And so, you know, practice with the look. There's always like a test look, you know, and, you know, that takes a while. And then the costume creation I needed to make pieces to attach to this costume. So it's, you know, building on that particular costume has these icicle spikes on the shoulders. And that started with a really cheap Poundland prong of a Christmas decoration icicle and then building that up into what you see as part of the costume. Now that took a couple of weeks. (laughs) And then all that while I'm trying to figure out how to actually make it something you know beyond the costume and the look it has to become an act and so where's the story where's the mix and all that sort of going down the the rabbit hole of finding the tracks and then editing all that together so I reckon on average it takes me a month to six weeks to go put an act together and then of course with it being digital drag era of late you know it's all that you know putting it together at the end the shoot and the edit is mammoth amount of work it's it's a lot to do and you know that's the thing like I've always actually admired about you is you're very you're very organized and when I've often said you like to do the show this month blah, blah, you're like it'll take me roughly I think this much time and I've always went oh god like he's very committed in drag I love that like he's very like I'm doing this and I'm doing it right and it's interesting because obviously 
now that I've heard this in this interview, I'm like, oh, now it really makes sense to me because I just went, oh, he's very professional. That's good. That's what we want in this industry. But then I hear that and go, oh, it's also that it does take that much time as well. Like, it's, it's great to hear um, your sort of perspective and how you, and your creation and the mood boards, I totally relate. The amount of times I've sat and went, it's for me, it's it's simple as like Pinterest. You've mentioned that I just like download photos off Google Images and they're on my phone. And when I get to something, I go, right, I'm now looking at all these together and how will I like manifest this and create this? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quite a good key thing to kind of springboard from, you know, in terms of visual inspiration. I might have five or six pictures that I select and then might put them onto one slide. And that's sort of what I pin up. If I move there, the board at the back, Ooh. current mood board is all the stuff for the latest creature look that is um, kind of like Aquaman meets bioluminescent sea squid. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, so it's so interesting for me because, you know, when we were doing the villain show and I remember you saying to me, oh, the Christmas show was just a bit too late for you to do. So I said, just do the next month. And I, I obviously made a bit of a, I thought it was very clever in my opinion, but I was like, you know, we're doing this performance, it's villains night. And when everyone watched, I was like, and the villain of that performance was penis shaming. Because for me, you'd made such a clever way with that performance that doing Jack Frost, but then doing this let it go parody. I thought because it's so clever, I love it. But it was, it was all about, you know, sort of, oh, like penis size, blah, blah. And I just thought, that's the villain here. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Well, that's very astute because, you know, I do like to have underlying messages that there aren't, they aren't always that obvious. And so, you know, although sometimes I don't even realize what they are, I had to hear you say that to go, oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and that's what I say now to everybody that that's what I made that act about. But, you know, invariably there are a few layers in things that I put together. You know, you may, if you pay attention, see them. Some of them may be really obvious. Some of them may not be there. Some of the acts I do are, are purely just for the dumb fun of it, like being chased around my flat by a giant piece of bacon. I love that one as well. That was the first time I've seen you perform was that piece I'd seen it on the Mother Tucker show and I was like oh my god what is this this is incredible I love this it's so funny um, it's interesting because when you say that about sort of these undertones and these other things going on I've often felt that because it's it's art you know I've, I've never I've created work but I've always felt like if anyone takes anything from it I've done my job do you know what I mean I want it to reach everyone not just one community yeah. I want everyone in their own way yeah really interesting so talk me through then before the pandemic sort of dragged mm -hmm drag before the pandemic and sort of where you were doing drag and how you were doing it and what's it been like doing drag in Glasgow yeah interesting well I mean there have been I guess equal opportunities presented to me for doing drag in Glasgow and in Edinburgh so both cities have been good to me in my drag pre-pandemic so they were you know I was mainly kind of gigging probably on average once every one to two months with the opportunities that kings get being few and far between <laughs> so that was the reality then so you know it was a variety of drag shows in and particularly in Glasgow there's, there's a number of cabaret shows as well that I was able to um, get opportunities to perform at so queer theory you know the Glasgow Festival Blesk Roxy does a number of shows so you know the lineups there are kind of nicely varied and I've come from a background as well in Shanghai in the beginnings where the lineups were quite mixed so the burlesque and cabaret beginnings I had it was always either a variety of performers or in the drag shows I was in there were always a variety of drag performers in those so it's kind of been interesting to see how I would say to date you know Edinburgh's probably had the most opportunities for that 
type of drag show for Kings. Glasgow needs a bit of work, I would say, if I'm brutally honest, in terms of um, regular lineups where there's, you can guarantee you're going to see at least one king in them. That's so interesting because I remember when I started the House of Liability during the pandemic and something you might not know is the House of Liability was going to be a drag show before the pandemic hit at a venue in Edinburgh and I had like my two drag sons and my two drag, I had a drag sister at the time and then I had obviously my drag daughters so I, I had them going to that show to that venue and then the venue obviously the show didn't happen because the pandemic hit um, so it was so interesting and I remember you saying to me you know Oh, it's so great that you've got two kings, not just one. And I was like, oh, and, and for me, I didn't want to do that thing that it was like, oh, I'm going to go out and get someone who's only that. Like if, if drag kings come to me, they want to do the show. I'm like, yes, come do the show. I, and again, at the beginning of the episode, I kind of mentioned that about Tim and the Velvet, but for me, drag kings have always been a huge part of my life. So that's why it's, it's such a natural flow. And they both came to me and said, oh, we want to do a show too. And I was like, oh, amazing. So it's really interesting and I'm glad that Edinburgh has done that for you in ways. I'm glad because, and I know that, you know, it's that, it's that thing with this pandemic as well that, and we'll touch on to this next, that, you know, I think Shopping King particularly has really emphasised that. And I think now when the venues open, there will be more opportunity because Shopping King is now here. I mean, and I would love for you, yeah. and I would love for you to chat with me now about sort of the work you've been doing online during the pandemic because you have been like a powerhouse during the pandemic getting all this on its feet like I'm impressed so talk me through it mm -hmm. yeah so the the whole idea with Shut Up and Kings sort of came around came about in the middle of lockdown 1.0 at the beginning of it um with all the extra free time you know I, I kind of produced this little six-part web series and then you know that took six weeks and then we all sort of realized fuck this is going to go on a bit longer <laughs> so you know it was sort of what do we do now like what do I do now with the time I do like to keep my eyes on a creative project at all times if possible because just to keep those parts of the brain going and just for the for the fun of it and the the therapy side of actually being creative that I get from that so I was looking around for something you know the shows were happening and springing up and then there was a little bit of a, a you know a, a time in the scene in drag here that seemed to sort of be there was a bit of an internal shake up of things were happening let's say diplomatically and then um I thought, yeah, there needs to be something maybe to kind of generate something positive for the scene as a whole, but for drag kings in particular. And I kind of had the idea to do this Shut Up and King platform. I'd done a little bit of a similar thing in Shanghai. And right before the pandemic, I had had a couple of workshops face to face here that were kind of an extension of that. I'd done a Drag King 101 workshop and probably one of the gigs that I've enjoyed most um, was sort of like the culmination of right before the pandemic was the Glasgow Drag Awards. And, you know, I performed with a bunch of um, kings, a couple of really great kings here in Glasgow, Andy Kiss and Asparagus. But the rest, you know, of the seven of us on stage were all brand new kings who'd just done a workshop with me. So it was a case of that momentum was still there. You know, I didn't want it to drop. So I thought, how can we do this? But in the context of now not being able to meet up, Obviously, Zoom stuff had started to happen. So I thought, okay, right, maybe I could do something, but hadn't really got a big plan other than let's create something for Kings specifically. <laughs> but also I'd seen a lot of, let's say whenever there were articles about, you know, drag artists or drag Kings, you need to know sort of thing that are out there. Invariably, 
for some reason, the journalists thought there were no drag kings outside of London. And if you were lucky, you know, they'd maybe pick one up in Manchester. But north of Manchester, it seemed, was, you know, there was no drag king scene. So I was kind of getting a bit sick of that because obviously, as you know, the level of talent up here is phenomenal and it deserves a spotlight, in my opinion. So the kind of motivation was all sort of those things coming together. And I reached out to um, Guy Liner, or their outer drag alter ego, who is a graphic artist. I think they would call themselves that, an artist, and um, said, here's some dosh, give me a logo. And we kind of came up with the logo that is the Sharp and King logo, and I just sort of stuck it online. And, you know, once it's out there, of course, <laughs> there's no turning back. So um, I launched this platform in August, and started to do the Q&As on a weekly basis because, you know, I could reach out to um, the kings I knew and, you know, the kings I didn't know, you know. It was like a really nice sort of, um, exploration of who's out there as well, you know, wanting to put out these Q&As that were initially a weekly thing um, until I think I'm sort of getting to the end now of um, all the kings that I know about in the region. And so, um, yeah, I started to do that and then decided I'll have a go at doing this Drag King 101 on Zoom. Um, so started with that, had to, you know, modify how I was going to teach a few things, you know, to have it be something that could be done someone on laptop rather than leaping about. So I had to take out, you know, they couldn't all perform with me two weeks after doing it and figure out how we still make it fun. Um, did that, got some good feedback. And then, um, you know, in the process, as I say, of interviewing and talking to the kings around the scene here, had a really cool conversation that was sparked with, your drag son or drag husband. How would you term Dean Gummer these days? Are you uh, married? Uh, Dean, so Dean Gummer is my son. I think he was or is married to Amy Lamore. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Excuse me. All right. So yeah, so your drag son and I had a, a, a series of chats and brainstorms over FaceTime. And um, with Dean's background and actual like legit qualifications, <laughs> unlike me, you know, in acting and all that type of stuff, um, I thought, yeah, let's let's expand on one workshop I'd done in Shanghai, which was So You Think You Can Solo. It was like to kind of get someone to a point of being able to be a performer, you know, solo performer. And so Dean like hammered out over a number of weeks the program that became what we ran in January online, four weeks to discover you in a king. And between them, between he and I, we kind of delivered it in January and it included a couple of workshops um, where we brought in, you know, there were collaborations from a number of more established kings here as well. You know, I, I had Eli and Boris Gay come and do little bits. And so it was a real collaboration with not just Dean and I, a group of other kings. Asparagus took a little segment for the Boylesque one um, and so forth. So we had 12 aspiring kings from all over Scotland, um, from the Highlands, from you know, I've had a couple of kings from England we let in as well, you know. Oh. So <laughs> it was it was good. And the nice thing about um, the fact that it was online, of course, is that we could reach people that might not be able to get to Glasgow or get to Edinburgh if we ever do these in person again. So you know, it's been a nice sort of silver lining of all that, I would say. So, yeah, some of these kings have already debuted. Um, we had one of them in the Christmas show, the Bros Before Ho Ho Ho's Christmas show. So, and I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I think so. Uh, remind me the name, Richard Hancock. Richard, yes, 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 Richard Hancock. Yeah. Um, and then um, a couple of other kings are, you know, everyone's journey happens at their own pace. So, you know, there was no 
mandate that you have to take this course with us for four weeks and you all have to spring forth fully formed kings and start performing now. You know, we would ideally love to have more kings in the performing scene coming from different cultures and backgrounds and experiences, um, which was why we did the little scholarship thing that happened as well as part of that, you know, for folks of colour and folks who identify as disabled. We offered a couple of scholarship placements. So, you know, we've got kings that are emerging and kings that we're still kind of, let's say, mentoring, you know, if they want it. But there's no, I'm not going to check up on those kings and say, right, where's your debut? Come on, chop, chop. That wasn't part of it. So, you know, it is what it is, right? People get what they do from drag and it's not always that you want to be a performer. Many other reasons. Yeah, this is the thing. It's so interesting because obviously, so there's a couple of points of a lab on there, but like Richard, um, I knew for years before he even did drag, I knew him, we, we did a thing um, in 2014 at the National Fair of Scotland, Gertley Mini Festival. Um, so it's so interesting that he was doing it and he's doing our show next uh, in May, which is so exciting as well. He's just mm-hmm. loads of them you've got. I was, I was just so blown away by seeing constantly the content being poured out, the advice. I've heard from Phil Heron and, and Dean how it's going. My son Henry's mentioned, obviously. Like, there's just so, such an eclectic mix of amazing drag kings in Scotland. And I, I love that you're like, you know, we let a couple of people from uh, down south. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's so true, isn't it, that, you know, pre-pandemic, you would find that, you know, I knew drag queens that were coming from Sky in the Highlands to venues in Edinburgh. And I think, God, that's a fucking travel. Like they're dedicated and then I'm sitting there thinking god I'm complaining about having to get a taxi from my house five minutes <laughs> they're getting the bus all the way down from the highlands I'm like right shut up and stop moaning but it's so interesting because pre-pandemic this wouldn't have happened you know I've connected with people that I've been working with a director at the moment who's in London who I probably pre-pandemic wouldn't have worked with because she's not here do you know what I mean so in a way I like to say those moments that'll go well the pandemic has been brutal but we're at 13 months now and I go well at least things like this have been happening that maybe wouldn't have happened, you know? And it's, um, I've always thought the last sort of six months that it's been incredible and a testament to you really, how incredible you are to navigate and run and produce all this during the pandemic, because you know, it's, it's such a difficult time to cope right now during this pandemic. So well done you, honestly. I just hope you do realize how incredible you are for doing all this work. It's just, it's brilliant. So I'm so, I'm so glad I know you in that fun bit that's happened and you're giving opportunity to younger people who've never done this and the right opportunity so thank you for that um, oh well thanks <laughs> you're very Team effort, say. yeah and you know it's been nice to see the I guess the wide range of people that have chosen to join the workshops you know it's not all about the youngsters coming up and stuff you know there have been I started drag in after my 40th birthday you know as in I was in my early 40s when I started so you know you're never too old <laughs> you're so you're never too old and it's, it's so interesting because I do feel and I will happily say this that I've often felt like drag race you know one they never really have drag kings or women doing drag at all which I just can think can be so problematic it is good that obviously now there's people like got a milk got a mick I think is how you pronounce it yeah, yeah. Got, got milk <laughs> yes I think that's the pun isn't it I think so I think so but um so great that he got on and, and I felt like right there's little little moments little flickers but it's interesting, you know, and there are other shows I know that are sort of being more inclusive to different genders. And I know that you mentioned earlier about gender identity and, you know, drag helped me realise that I was non-binary. So I totally can relate that drag can be such a, a beautiful thing that can help people realise who they are. But it's mm-hmm. interesting with the drag sort of television shows because I do just think, you know, um, there's often been in drag race as well, like a younger 
cast. I've often thought there's not really anyone above the age of maybe 31, 32, usually. And I thought, why? There's so many amazing professional talented queens that are in their 40s, 50s, like still doing it in their 60s, Lady Bunny. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, so it's interesting. Um, and I'm glad that you said that because it is anyone could do drag. You're so, so right. So, you know, what? it's been such a hard time, but you've been creating such amazing work, doing all these amazing things. What sort of stuff have you been doing to cope then? Because... It's, it's, it's a hard one to be a creative, I feel it, that you want to have 100 projects, but then you get exhausted and burnt out. I get exhausted and burnt out. So what have you been doing to cope? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been, I've, I plan quite a bit. So I've tried to keep some sort of structure. When I've had things that I've accepted as, you know, these are the things I want to try and produce, it's normally with a deadline in mind. So um, I don't cope well with last minute stuff. So, you know, I've definitely tried to keep, some sort of structure happening. And that's also, you know, in the whole, when the fuck is this going to end kind of unknown where it can be quite triggering to not actually know when there is an end to the darkness, let's say having that little bit of control over my own creative stuff has been really helpful. You know, um, I found also, you know, allowing myself to have those meltdowns when inevitably I drop a fork and, you know, shit hits the fan. <laughs> you know, we're all, you know, putting on a brave face, but there, there are going to be those moments where it's been the last straw of something happening and just kind of being a bit more forgiving um, when those happen <laughs> I'm trying my best to kind of keep active exercising hasn't happened let's just say if I'm brutally honest but um yeah just trying to sort of <laughs> mix it up and do the things that I know are gonna give that dopamine hit you know whacking the music up, up really loud and having a boogie while I'm you know doing mundane stuff um but also yeah just sort of trying to have small projects where I can kind of have that sense of achievement that's something that I get um, a kick out of you know the sort of uh, sense of achievement of actually completing something no matter what it is just trying to trying to make things more manageable in smaller chunks <laughs> in the big void you know totally oh I so relate and the thing is it's, it's funny you say this but putting the music on having a boogie the amount of times I'm hoovering and putting rave music on like because I miss the clubbing and the raves, and I think, right, get that blasted on the speakers, right, hoover my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's been good as well, just to kind of be forced more online to reconnect with friends and family, you know, or stay connected with friends and family. Like, I've probably gotten more connected in the last year than I ever would have been if I'd stayed overseas, you know, with my family being down south, um, you know, and then having that kind of lockdown inevitable I don't know how many families did the the weekly family quizzes via FaceTime but that was sort of part of it. I know it didn't last longer than three weeks but you know it was probably the most contact I've ever had with my family in general um so you know just sort of making sure that those occasional catch-ups happen you know it's nice to see familiar and friendly faces even if they are 2D I've got a catch-up tomorrow with one of my drag fam in Shanghai you know and that sort of thing so you know, it's important I think to just sort of make those happen no matter how much time's gone by you know just sort of reach out and and uh, say when you're free for a catch-up let's let's um share that little moment and see how we're doing you know oh I find that beautiful that was lovely and it's so true I mean those quizzes god I remember them a year ago everyone on zoom was doing pub quizzes and I'd message my I actually occasionally been like what we phone call because we chatted all the time during the pandemic and she'd be like, me and Tom are doing a family quiz on a Friday at nine o'clock, but I could my phone after. I'd be like, 
what do you mean a family quiz? And she was like, oh, every Friday we've got to do the, the family quiz so we're all together. And I was like, is that a thing? But the thing is, like, my mum, bless her, doesn't really know how to work a computer. So getting her to do a quiz on a computer just wouldn't happen. <laughs> so that's why I was like, thank God, because <laughs> I can't stand quizzes and stuff. So I was like, um, <laughs> so I totally relate. So, you know, you are doing such amazing work for Drag Kings. And obviously one of the questions I want to throw at you is, if there are younger, I've seen a lot of younger people wanting to do drag in general, you know, drag kings, drag queens, drag artists, you know, queer art. I've, I've spoken to a lot of students who've messaged me the last three months being like, hello, I'm wanting to do drag and I'm studying this. Or I saw actually on Facebook, someone who does drag has said they were going to QMU to do the first degree I did. And I was like, oh, amazing, congrats. That's one I did. And they were like, oh my God, really? Oh, amazing. And I was like, yeah, like, that's great. So what kind of advice would you give to young people or anyone, in fact, actually, let's mm -hmm. not be let's just say anyone what advice would you say to them wanting to pursue it who maybe thinks let's face it you know we had a horrible time in summer that we were told by uh UK government that our jobs maybe weren't viable you know what advice mm. to young people or different kinds of people who thought oh I don't know if I want to pursue the arts right now because you know what I mean like what would you say yeah um well I would think that you know if you've started to think about you know, maybe like to try drag um definitely look around as much as you can anywhere for your sources of inspiration um and you know and you've really got to I think realize that it takes work <laughs> it takes time and there's no right or wrong pace for you to go and you know there are no rules other than I would say you know make sure you're not uh crediting or sorry I guess there are no rules in terms of it's art it's subjective and you know there'll there'll always be something that you put out that will reach someone and whatever you put out of course you know won't always be liked by everyone so to kind of understand that it doesn't really matter what you do unless you're you know doing the no-nos that we should all know about these days you know don't appropriate if it's not your own cultural lived experience you know and credit if you're taking inspiration from a particular artist where credit is due, those types of things. But other than that, just go for it. Um, you know, have an understanding as well that, you know, you might be looking up to particular um, drag artists for inspiration that you see on social media and, you know, that are incredible makeup artists, but you don't have to be perfect straight away, you know, and realize that you could be an incredible makeup artist, but still have not the first idea about how to put an act together and be compelling on stage and vice versa. You know, you don't have to have incredible makeup skills to still kill it on stage and be super entertaining. So, you know, you don't need all the bells and whistles um, to be an incredible performer. So, you know, figure out what works for you. Try and tap into whatever style speaks to you and, and have fun with it and understand that it is a journey that will change and it's okay to change in any point you know in terms of what you're trying I like to try and learn stuff all the time so you know it's hone your craft essentially and understand that it you've got to hustle put in the work um, but ultimately realize that your value in terms of the art that you're putting out there you know it goes beyond the number of likes and engagement you might get on these social media platforms you know, even if it is, I think you've talked about it just then, even if it is just one person that sees what you're doing or sees you out there, representation is so important. And so to actually put yourself out there, put your art online, you are one of the very few people that actually create and put things out on the internet. The majority just sit there and consume. So give yourself credit for doing it and to think, you know, regardless of how much engagement and likes you get, 
one person might have seen what you do or one, one person might have been in that crowd looking at what you've done on stage that night and it might change their life to see someone like you doing that and you know that I guess in my mind is what it's all about for me anyway I think that's creating brilliant. yeah creating for yourself um, and trying to understand as well that the value in what you do doesn't hang on how much it is liked on fucking Instagram I so relate. Thank you so much. Because it's like that thing Lady Gaga said, you know, it could take one out of a room of 99. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would say, I like that and I want to do that. And, and it's so true because I've seen so many drag artists on the last four months on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, saying like, oh, and it's so it's so defeating right now doing drag and you get like 20 likes on a photo you've done with the first hour. And, and I thought to myself we're not doing it for the likes, we're just doing it for the art, do you know what I mean? And remember there was a Stanislavski quote I used to live by that was like, she loves herself in the art, not the art itself. And I thought that's so interesting, like you need to love the art you're creating, not about being seen, do you know what I mean? That's, it's, that's always been what I've lived by. So I totally... Yeah. Yeah. You know, when people say do it, have fun doing it, it, the reality is it's not always going to be fun. There are definite behind the scenes moments of me putting a particular act together that I would never want the world to see where I'm like completely losing it. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm never putting this that I hate. It's always like a really hate it moment of putting an act together for me. So push through those moments, I would say. <laughs> it's worth it. You know, I love that. That's so true. It's interesting. So, you know, I think one thing that I would like to ask actually though is particularly because of I've been working with young people on Zoom for a while now um, doing various projects for different charities out of drag but doing artist work and teaching them and one of the questions I got asked was you know as a drag queen you know did I want to go on Drag Race blah blah and I said well if, it, if the opportunity arose I wouldn't say no like and they said oh you know um, well I one of them has said I'm a woman so I can't do drag and we've talked about this earlier and I said off and I said no 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 this is a television show. This is not drag in Scotland, drag in Manchester. You know, I have been to various venues that they've got drag queens that are women, drag kings, trans men, trans women do drag. It's not this amalgamation of you just see it on Drag Race and that's how it is. No, 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 it's a TV show. And one of the things I would like to ask, you know, is what would you say to young drag kings who are wanting to do this? Because I feel like they might some, particularly younger people or older people might feel a bit like pent down by, oh, well, drag race doesn't have drag kings, so I shouldn't do it. What would you say to them? Mm. Fuck drag race. I mean, there's so much more beyond beyond drag race out there. The the challenge is, you know, if that is your introduction to it, you feel like that is the end, you know, the holy grail of drag. But you know, trying to get them to understand, go to your local shows, go and um, go in drag, go and do what you do, and you know, produce something and focus. I would say on your local community, um, and if you're not finding it, create it. I love that. Wow. Let's just take that in. If you're not finding it, create it. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I get really Oprah with these things and say, hold up. Let's just talk about that. Like, I love it. So, you know, editing videos is so bloody stressful. Like, I love it, but I hate it. It's, you know, a curse for me. I'm a live performer first, then a, a short movie or a digital performer second. But I am now actually very used to it. And one of the things I'd like to ask, you know, is, in terms of your work, you know, if I had to ask you three performances that you love that you've turned out, they could be live or digital, what would they be? Yeah, um, I think I mentioned it before that one of the ones I did live more recently was the Glasgow Drag Awards with the group of Kings. Um, it's always been part of my 
the first three years, you know, in, in China performing on a stage that was, you know, we were blessed with a large, large stage. So I could always have people on stage with me. But I've, as a result of that opportunity, just fallen in love with creative collaboration. So to actually have that, um, you know, opportunity to have that happen here in Glasgow um, was really a high point for me in the recent past, you know, to have something like that happen, a group number. Mm. So going forward, I'd love to do more of that, definitely. You know, even if the stages aren't as big as the ones I'm used to, there are ways to make that happen. So I'd love to do more of that. So that's definitely a high point for me that I want to build on. Um, yeah, the others the others that I've done, I think, um, you know, throughout the last year, the whole exploration into digital drag, there have been some high points there. Um, the acts I probably would think are my best work, let's say, out of that. It's hard. Um, they're they're quite different. I've kind of explored different things and and tried new ways of putting acts together with you know, the myriad of apps and platforms in terms of digital editing platforms, you know, and things and bells and whistles you can do with that. Um, so I've tried to do new, new things each time. But I do think the collaboration I managed to do with Marquis de Saul, which was one of the acts I did over the Halloween period, is probably one of the better pieces that was really interesting um that was a vampire which is definitely one of my favorite types of characters to do um a marquee who lives in glasgow you know videoed a little bit together what looked like we you know we were in the same haunted mansion <laughs> that was a lot of fun i think i downloaded every single possible cgi representation of haunted mansion clip off off the internet for that so if anybody needs have a whole repository of all those clips um so yeah that was a good one jack frost was really um an achievement i would say the hardest one it was probably the one that almost broke me to produce <laughs> delete all those me having diva moments um clips so it was um yeah i rigged up a pole stage in my flat yeah um, so that's probably given away too much. No, um, it was an undertaking to try and create this um, ice cave with icicles. You know, you could do all that with backgrounds and stuff, but actually to sort of create that um, me spinning around on an icicle on a pole stage in my tiny little tenement flat with the whole green screen effects and all that type of thing. I should probably post once the... Eurodrag has aired I might post a little bit of the behind the scenes of how that act actually happened because um yeah. <laughs> yeah it might just prove that you can pretty much do anything in a tenement flat if you put your mind to it yeah. and you have a little bit of um tech savvy which isn't that hard you know I know it's different for each person but surprisingly there's a lot you can get without actually having all that green screen equipment you could still do lots of green screen effects for no money do you know, it's really interesting because I remember watching it thinking, is that a pole? <laughs> like, no, it was an icicle. No, well, it was an icicle. <laughs> yeah, but it was a pole. Oh, yeah, it was a pole stage. I have a portable pole stage. I picked it up um, in the lull between lockdown one and lockdown two. I scooted over to Edinburgh and picked up a pole stage, um, thinking that I was going to be, you know, doing lots of pole tricks <laughs> over lockdown to, like, pull a muscle in my butt. No. Um, so I got that and rigged it up and um, promptly broke the light um but anyway have um yeah got it on the back burner um for when we're out and about in the stages areas again that some of my acts where i've got pole tricks in them i might be able to do you know in portable with a portable pole stage under my arm that's incredible and the one where you were a vampire you know that was a musical i remember watching it you were doing this sort of really 
like um, narrative sort of narrating song. It was um, the yeah. okay, Halloween show. I watched it. I remember thinking, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, that was a, a me going down a little campy, campy road to see whether I could pull off kind of like a more effeminate side of the masculine spectrum. I, you know, as I said, I got my beginnings in real hyper-masculine type portrayals of, of men. And this was just, like I said, trying to find new things to explore each time I do an act. And this was definitely, you know, watching a lot of Eddie Izzard and, and prancing around to see if I could kind of pull off that campy, campy vibe. I had a lot of fun doing it. I might go back there. <laughs> but yeah, um, that that was a good one to do. And the, the song really spoke to me as well. It was kind of creepy and macabre. Um, bit twisted, but still really upbeat, <laughs> weirdly. <laughs> I loved it. It was so, so um, macabre is the perfect way to describe it, actually. But it was so interesting just because, um, you know, it was very theatrical. It was, and I love that you sort of did this sort of creeping and all this. And I was like, oh, I'm here for this. It's so stylizing, great. And before we move on to the next question, what was the group's number you did? What was the song you did with the... Um, you know, it was a mix. So it was about, we did it, um, let me think. It was about, well, it was a mix, basically a song that started off with, um, I want a mix with I Want to Sex You Up by, what were they called? Bad Color. Color Me Bad, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was me, um, Andy Kiss and Asparagus kind of like doing a little boy band group number. And then, you know, you have the jump to the next track, which was one about I just had sex. I'm not going to sing it. But it's basically me running off and, and hooking up with someone at the end of the first bit. I just had sex coming back and like being all, you know, I got laid, wow. And ultimately it was my first time. Uh, and then um, the rest of the band joining at the end for um, a montage minute or so of, um, what is that Bruno Mars song? Uh, oh, there's loads, there's grenades. 24 Carat Magic, there you go, yeah. So it was a montage of all that gloriousness um, put together and we, we were called the Tackleberries. We were called the Douchecopters in Shanghai, but we came up with the name collectively with the group this time around. Um, and um, yeah, we did that. It's basically the boy band ensemble. I'd love to do more of that. Um, resurrect the Tackleberries number and, and do more of those types of acts, definitely going forward. That's brilliant. So, you know, what are your goals then once the, I hate saying to people in one way, one, when, the, when the pandemic is over and reality comes back, but you know, what, um, what you know, are your goals when things do return in life? Yeah. Well, personally with drag, I definitely want, there are, there are goals I have this year, so ew, I can share those. Let's just put it out there. Let's be accountable. Uh, so I definitely want to improve on character makeup skills. And that's a key one for me. I've just ordered, I don't know if you can see, but there are two great big lumps of clay there. I've got a face cast that I did at the beginning of the first lockdown. So I want to get playing around with sculpting and try and figure out, you know, get better at prosthetics. Um, so do more character style makeup things by the end of the year, um, have all that <laughs> improved um, considerably. And then um, I want to learn a bit more in terms of like how to dance, like I don't have two left feet, let's say, and that's a goal. Um, also to be able to use a sewing machine for something more than just sewing on popper tape for stripper pants. I definitely want to <laughs> learn a bit more of that. I picked up a sewing machine not so long ago for 20 quid off someone who was doing a giveaway kind of thing on the book of face so um, I've got a backup sewing machine if my 
first one breaks. So that's, yeah, those are the, my goals going forward for the next while. Um, I guess in terms of the community and things I'd love to see, you know, there are lots of hypothetical beginnings of conversations and opportunities that are happening at the moment with potential um, king show opportunities here um, and so I'd like to make some of those happen I spent a large part of lockdown coming up with silly king pun names for shows so I've got a few show concept ideas kicking around it's just trying to find the right the right venue um, and one that's accessible which is real fucking pain in the ass I've been swearing a lot but there are some things here that are like a real bugger you know to find an accessible venue for we've got a performing king here who uses a wheelchair so how are we going to include them in our shows I want to try and find a venue that would be able to accommodate it not easy but um yeah we're, we're trying to get a few of those off the ground this year I would say um whether or not that's um an occasional king show or my preference would be to just have regular shows that are always with kings in them how about that as a novel concept I would, I would love that. I would come to it all the time. Like, I would really enjoy that. And I've obviously said this to you in the past, anything I can do to help support, you just let me know, drop me a line, you know, anything, if it's mm-hmm. recommendations, you need a reference for, like, Creative Scotland, you just let me know. But honestly, like, I, I'm really supportive of Shop and King. And I know that when the House of Liability opens up, I've spoken to you about this loads of times, digitally, on, like, Instagram stuff, you know, once House of Liability starts, we will try and somehow make sure that Shopping King are regularly involved. So yeah, there's there's definitely, like I said, it kind of towards the beginning, actually, like the pandemic has been a reset for a lot of things. And I think that when things return, venues are going to have to stop making their shows specifically just one com- part of the community. We need to be accessible for everyone. And the, the thing you mentioned about disability access is so important. So, so, so important. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of times you do go to shows and you think, this isn't great for people that are in wheelchairs or have issues with getting downstairs and upstairs. I, at one point, was really ill with CF that I wouldn't go because I was like, going up and down the stairs was just floating me. So I thought, I'll just not go then. Do you know what I mean? But that was hard for me. And and I was in that position. And now, thankfully, with this new CF drug, I'm not. But I then go, well, people aren't like me and we need to help them. So I totally agree with you. Oh, it's mm-hmm. such a great interview. You know, what we're looking at in season three of Afternoon Delight that makes it its own season and unique is hope. And we ask every guest, sort of, was there a moment that things weren't going well? Or has there been a moment that you really would like to talk about particularly, or just in general with the pandemic, that things have been tough, but hope got you through it? And I would love for you to share your experience. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've reflected on that a little bit <laughs> lately, because I've, I think that where I've had the biggest upheaval in my life, it's always been things sort of coming at you from, you know, this you've been spun a curveball, things have happened outside your control and you've kind of blindsided by something, you know, whether it had been, you know, uh, a death of a family member or, you know, you, you've suddenly had something that you thought would always be there, get taken away, um, you know, or whatever it has been, it's always cast me into a period of like, holy crap, what now? How am I going to actually go forward from this? How am I going to function from this? But it's been... Whatever has happened, it's always been an end result that new doors, new opportunities have been created as a result of all that ending suddenly. Um, And I've kind of looked back and as a result of all those experiences, realized how resilient 
I've been and how resilient people really are. Um, you know, there's there have been times where I really thought that there was no way forward. But through reaching out to friends and having the, you know, the chance to kind of start again, it's actually been always, there have been some amazing silver linings in everything that's happened. So, you know, I've kind of been able to live through that <laughs> through over the, over the years. And so now going forward, I'm much better place let's say to deal with something that is going to be again like a big unknown of how the hell do you begin again I've always sort of felt in the back of my mind no matter how hard it is you know I know how resilient I've been able to be um, in the past and I know there will always be that opportunity that comes up that I would never have had had something so awful not happen so it's kind of nice to have I guess that's that sense that nugget of hope that things will get better in the end I love that. That is, and that is the thing, unfortunately, that it, I've I've spoken to in the past that they say, you know, we talk about signs and and seeing something as a sign, and and often they define signs as actually things that are out of our control that we won't even pick up on at a time, and then months later we go, actually that happened, and then I would never have got here. So I totally mm. totally relate. Oh, it's been such a beautiful and light and energizing episode i've loved doing this is there anything you want to promote or discuss before we finish off with the quote that ends the episode well i mean i am in a contest um on may 1st you could tune in and do a bit of support there i think there's going to be a public vote <laughs> so hashtag team dorian if there is that's the eurostars drag contest that's may 1st um if you go to the eurostars drag contest social media or Eurodrag social media, you will find all the various channels that you can tune in and watch that. Go support myself and Purina Alpha here in Glasgow are both representing Scotland um, in a contest that's seeing 33 other contestants from all across Europe. Um, and it is a smorgasbord of different styles of drag representation. So it's just then showing you what's possible in terms of a televised drag show contest. <laughs> if you put your mind to it you can create something that is much more inclusive than the other show that should not be named so there's that um, I've also got a couple of workshops coming up um, well one that will still be happening um, check out the at shut up and king Facebook or Instagram for details of that I'm working on a, a beards workshop myself and um, Nico Raj who's a king here in Glasgow and um, we've got Noah Khan can I say the word cunt no, I can't. And um, they're close to Edinburgh, I think, their region. So we're all putting together a workshop on beard artistry, open to folks of any gender um, and don't necessarily have to be drag kings, but um, those are happening. So, yeah, that would be the plugs, I would say. Follow me on dorient.fisk for Instagram, probably the easiest one to find me at. Brilliant. I love my plugs. Yeah. So... <laughs> Before we end the episode, it's been such a beautiful interview. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed meeting you for the first time and getting to learn all about your journey of being an inspiring drag king and drag king royalty, in my opinion, in Scotland. You know, we end Afternoon Delight with an inspiring quote that each guest brings. It can be a quote from yourself or a quote you live by. I would love for you to share that quote before we end off. Yes. So I actually kind of have two, but the actual quote I want to I wanna give is a Chinese idiom that's I've loved since I first heard it. So it's always been one that I, I think back to. I will say it in Mandarin first, but then I'll explain a little bit. So the idiom is 
which if you translate it literally word for word is, is effectively good horse, no eat behind head grass, <laughs> which thinking about it, it's what it's saying is always go forward. There's no point reflecting on what's happened in the past and trying to go back to that. So it's kind of a nice sort of way of reminding me that, you know, the past is the past and what matters is keeping going. Um, the other sort of thing I wanted to say in terms of like quotes, it's it's got something to do with. So I'm, I'm I've got a rather large back tattoo and I've got other tattoos on me, but they're all the uh, artistic representations of a phoenix, and that's kind of got some symbolism there for me that I think is is kind of nice in terms of you know a sense of hope too. So if you're familiar with Chinese culture, the phoenix represents the empress, but it also obviously is the phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing as well that appears in many places you can find lots of different quotes around that but you know if you sort of hold the sort of mentality of to rise from the ashes from point of dark pain or point of you know no hope you are rising forth from that fire much more stronger and resilient and beautiful um, and so I kind of like that as well in terms of hope you know for the phoenix to rise from the ashes it has to burn first I love that. Keep going forward and riding. Yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There you go. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you for joining me this afternoon tonight, Dorian. It's been amazing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to meet you virtually. I was so loving that interview of Afternoon Delight. Anytime I talk to drag kings, I'm totally in my element. I go back to my teenage years and I feel completely safe and at home, which I think is such a lovely feeling to go through. It was funny when Dorian actually talked about being able to drop a fork and have a meltdown and be like, it's fine. I've literally had editing this podcast that kind of day where... You know, when you wake up and you feel like nothing goes right, you know, you drop a fork after you sit down to have lunch, you pick up something. I was doing yoga and I picked up something and then all the things off my shelf fell down and you take your medication and all the fucking boxes fall at the cupboard. So I have had one of those days. I've had one of those weeks. I feel like Taurus season's coming up and I'm going to be highly emotional because my moon is in Taurus. But another of my emotional rants, what a fantastic filling episode Being able to admit when things are just not going well is such a big thing, I think, for people. You know, that can really, that mindset can really change your whole outlook and your whole life. Um, And it was such a pleasure hearing Dorian's chat and discussion and and repertoire of work. And the, the conversation on what is valid drag really resonated with me because we as drag artists in general, regardless of gender, often feel like we have to validate our work. And I feel like I've never liked that. And the social media thing is just so apt that there was, you know, this week I posted, I was working with the National Theatre Scotland and I got maybe like 50 likes. But then I posted a selfie of me after a haircut and it got 118 likes. And I thought, why has a haircut selfie got this much likes, but a professional standard of work has only got less than 50? I just thought, wow. But you know what? That's it. It's a digital app. It's not the real world. And thank you Dorian for bringing that and thank you for giving a platform and starting a drag king platform for many people giving my drag king um, sons hope and giving them so much to look forward to when things open and the pandemic is resolved you are honestly incredible and I look forward to continuing what I do 
and what you do and somehow having an allyship with that when venues open. I look forward to seeing what we all do together. It's going to be an exciting political time and I can't wait to go fully forward, like you mentioned, and rise from the ashes. So thank you, Dorian. Join me tomorrow on Afternoon Delight. I have got a vocal coach, another vocal coach like Susie Kay. However, this one's very close to my heart for many reasons. They have been an anchor to me and you will hear more about that on Sunday. But until then, stay safe. Remember to breathe.